Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Stephen Pimper, host of the Public Policy Channel, and we are joined today by Susan Hartman, who is the author of City of Refugees, the story of three newcomers who breathed life into a dying American town from Beacon Press. Susan, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, So if we can, start us off by telling us a little bit about who you are and your background and how it is that you came to this particular project. Okay. I'm a journalist, although I started out as a poet. I got an MFA uh, in writing from Columbia, uh, wrote books of poetry, and then uh, I was in Brooklyn. And all of a sudden, after the birth of my first child, I began reporting um, on the world that was really outside my doorstep. And um, I began following people for kind of long periods of time. I would do these in-depth stories about people around me. It started out with a, a group of double Dutch jumpers who were very close to my stoop. It was a dangerous block in the 80s. And I began reporting on on them. And then from there began um, really following different kind of intimate community groups um, that interested me. Um, Often they were immigrant groups and I did this for the Times and the Christian Science Monitor and Newsday. And then um, about almost 10 years ago, I, I got a call from a stranger and he said, he had heard that I, I often cover immigrant groups. And he said, did you know that Utica, New York, where I had gone to school, has become a city of refugees? And that very much interested me. And I, I went upstate to Utica and he showed me around. And that was the beginning of this project, this book. And you spent... Uh- Eight years on this, is that right? Yeah, closer to nine now. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't um, start out, though. I, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it was an accident. Didn't um, know it was going to be a decade long endeavor. Yeah, no, because it started out as a piece for the Times. I was following uh, a few different people and was watching the growth of the city. The city had changed so much from the time when I had been nearby. I I went to Kirkland College, which was a coordinate of Hamilton. And so that was about 20 minutes from Utica. So it had been the city that was, I felt was a little bit like Sleeping Beauty. It was um, really pretty dead, uh, but seemed to have wonderful potential. But it was the same story as across the Rust Belt where manufacturing plants had left. There were no jobs. There were arsons in the city. Um, But then what happened in Utica, remarkably, was 
they had this influx of refugees, wave after wave of refugees. Uh, and so I, I covered, I did this story for the Times. I love doing it. But then instead of moving on, which is generally what a journalist does, I, I kept going with the story. There were three subjects in particular who really interested me. Um, one was Ali, who had worked for, uh, as an interpreter for journalists at ABC News in Baghdad, and he had to flee for his life. So he had resettled in Utica, and I became close with a young Somali Bantu woman who was a teenager when I began, and then also Mercia, who was a Bosnian with a gift for baking. She had a home bakery on the first floor of her house, and she had this dream of opening a cafe. So I was very caught by these three people and wondering what was going to happen to them. And I just kept making trips up, 10 trips, 30, tri 30 trips. And yeah, so it, it became a book. So I, I want to ask you to, to tell us a, a little bit about each of, of their stories. But before we do that, can you say a little bit about how is it that Utica, New York, became a place where so many refugees found themselves? Yeah, it began in the early 70s. There was a woman, a local woman named Roberta Douglas. She became interested in Amerasians in Vietnam and was concerned about their treatment. So she brought over one man, an Amerasian, to Utica and then began bringing others. And then there were other institutions locally um, who became involved. And out of this, the ref, a, ref, a wonderful refugee center started, the Mohawk Valley Resource Center for Refugees, which is now called the Center. And they have resettled 17,000 refugees. So it was an extraordinary migration. And there were waves. It began with Vietnamese. There were Russians. Um, there were then the Bosnians in the 90s, Somali Bantus, Iraqi, um, people from over 40 countries. And now a quarter of the people in Utica are refugees and their families. And what that ha what meant that meant was they came. The old housing, which was in horrible shape from having been burned or neglected, there were hundreds of houses. They would initially get resettled by the uh, refugee center in an apartment, but then they would branch out they would they would often buy a house for very little money and then fix it up which is nice because then whole blocks would turn around start little businesses they have worked in the factories especially at Chobani and at um Turning Stone which is a very big resort casino in the area so the city and Shabani is the yogurt company, correct? On, yes, the yogurt plant in New Berlin. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about about each of the the folks and their families who you got to know. Um, where would you like to start? Who should we start with? <laughs> well, 
I met the three of them pretty much the first week. Um, Ali had been a translator for me. I was visiting an Iraqi family, um, and it was he knew them, and he was very kind, and he would bring them fish. He he likes to fish in, in the nearby Salmon River, as some refugees do, um, and he, he was very kind to them. I was just struck by how sensitive he was. And then when we got out and he was driving me home, he I noticed that his hair was dark, but his beard was white. And I asked him why that was. And he said that it had turned white when he found out that his brother had been pulled off a bus by insurgents and had disappeared. So in other words, out of shock. Yeah. So... I just became very interested in him and, and in his story. And he is a, a very reserved man, uh, a very interesting guy who has created a life in Utica. He has joined a mosque. He has a wonderful uh, girlfriend who is a native Utican. And yet he's always pulled back home to, to Iraq. And that was one thing I was curious about in terms of following him. Would he stay and totally commit to Utica or would he leave and forever be back in Iraq or would he be back and forth? And he's, I mean, the, the at least as, as we're historians, I mean, he, he feels very much torn in my reading, right? It's, it's, it clearly still feels the sense of home that, that Iraq was and, and has been, but also sort of, of pulled between this new life in, in, in Utica. How, does, how, how do you make sense of the way in which that fits into the larger sort of story about the city and how people find a home for themselves there? Yeah. I think people, the refugees, are very grateful to Utica and very proud of Utica, especially as they spend years there. You know, they relate to um, things like Utican food, like chicken riggies, which is something that was created by Italian-Americans. It's a pasta chicken dish um, and half-moon cookies. And so there's this identification with Utica, gratitude, but also pulled home, but to different degrees. There's, uh, I did a cover story for the Times, which came out a week ago, which also function, focused on uh, Utica, Utica's refugees and the meaning of home. And one of the men, one of the men that I was profiling, Mohammed Ganiso, he he loves Utica and he's he has a large family. He's created a life here. But he also has a home that he built in uh, Kenya and will be going back and forth. So there is this this pull. It, you know, it, it it's very understandable. It's typical. In Ali's case, it's a, a little more than in some because he also has been doing anti-terrorism work when he goes back there working as an interpreter for the Allied forces. So that work is very important to him. And I think it's also a way of sort of uh, perhaps even getting back at the insurgents for having um, murdered his brother. He wants to help fight them and 
he feels it's very important work as it is. And so he spent recently three years back there, but now is on his way home after a visit back for, for Ramadan. But yes, I think it's going to be back and forth, but he has built a house here um, and he finds peace here. And yeah, so he, he has his foot in, in two worlds. And and worth pointing out, I think that 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 translator work for him in Iraq is is really quite lucrative, right? It gave him the ability to pay cash for his house. Do I remember That's that right? right? Yes, that was wonderful that he was able to do that. But he, you know what he goes through when he's there is very very arduous. They have to pay a lot in order to get people to do this because he's living on a base in what's actually kind of like a cell. It's almost like a container. Um, it's a very difficult environment and he's working around the clock. Yeah. But, but yes, he is rewarded for it, which is wonderful. And they have a, a, a really, he and his girlfriend, a very lovely house now, um, very small house, which suits them perfectly. And they're, they're very happy with it. Yeah. Um, so should we should we talk a little bit about uh, uh, Sadia, who's who's got her own kind of uh, sort of complicated foot in both worlds, and particularly her relationship with her family. What what should we know about her and and her place yeah. in? Utica? Well, you know, so she's a the young generation there of refugees, and they often will assimilate quickly and take on the accoutrements of American life, you know, cell phones and cool shoes and, um, Going out with boys and-, <laughs> and boys and that can conflict with traditional values from the home. A good Somali band of girls not supposed to date is supposed to stay home inside, help the mother do well in school. Um, she can have ambitions, but the role in the family is very important. And the the older children tend to help raise the younger children because the families are so big. And uh, and her ideas were very different. She wanted to have a, a regular teenage life, the freedom to go to movies and the mall. And her mother was very unhappy about that. Her mother herself is a very formidable woman, um, also a rule breaker in her own way. And similar to Sadia in some ways, she herself had been a rebellious teenager, but for her daughters, she wanted them to follow the, you know, a traditional path. So they were really, you know, having these arguments. And uh, so it was you know, interesting to watch how that got worked out. There was a long period where they're very alienated from each other. Um, and Sadia has since reunited with her mother and they have a good relationship. But um, that was a, 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 a conflict and one that goes on in many households. And, and they've, they've got, 
uh, ex- extended family in in the area. So one of the ways in which that played out is that Sadia's mother communicated to the rest of her family that as the mother was shunning Sadia, so the rest of the family should as well, right? So she wound up being sort of cut off from from sort of family and culture in that way. Yes, that was very hard on her. Um, and you know, even within her rebellion, there was still respect for a lot of the aspects of the culture. So it wasn't, she wasn't rejecting everything. She just wanted more freedom. Um, but yeah, the family found that hard to accept. But even the older generation in Utica and in these other Rust Belt cities, you know, they shift as well eventually. So her own mother has come a long way in terms of accepting Sadia and accepting certain aspects of American life. Um, I always find it interesting that the mom has joined a gym, which is something I would never have pictured <laughs> doing initially, you know. And um, and the mother has flourished in many ways. She she owns her own house. She rents. She owns another house which she rents out. She works very hard. She worked for a long time. She worked for a time at Chibani. She worked as a nurse's uh, aide. And and, um, so, yeah, she has created a life there and loves Utica. Um, And she's not far from Sadia now. They're blocks away. And within a small area, there are about 100 clan members in that family. So let's let's now talk uh, a little bit about Marcia, who I mean, in some ways, if we think about uh, the 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 ways in which the particular refugee groups that you focused on here have helped in the 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 rebuilding and the revitalization of Utica, I think it's it's maybe easiest for people to see Marcia as as sort of an entrepreneur. Can you talk a little bit about how she got into that role and the challenges that she's faced in trying to 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 start a business? Yes. You know, as you mentioned, the Bosnians have a kind of a special place in that community. First of all, they had they came with certain advantages. They had many of them had educations, came from a middle class background. They had white skin. So, yeah. in contrast to the Somali Bantus who were coming from the camps um, and had been in a kind of limbo for many years, not allowed to work, and either. Even in Somalia, they had been persecuted and locked out of healthcare, locked out of jobs and the school system. So the, the Bosnians were easier to relate to. Uh, they renovated hundreds of homes in Utica and, and very quickly began um, creating middle class lives. So they now have infiltrated every aspect of um, the Utica community. They are in you know, the medical care system, they are doctors and nurses and they are teachers and also entrepreneurs and contractors. Um, But Mercia's path was not easy. Um, And she, they're coming out of a traumatic situation in Bosnia. She had been separated from her mom. She came as a teenager. She'd been separated because her mother sent her to Croatia to keep her safe and um, they were reunited here. But then a few years after they were reunited, the mom died. 
And Marcia is a very independent person, very capable. Her husband, who, who she met here, had been in a concentration camp. He had been a soldier, a prisoner of war. So he's also coming out of trauma. <clears throat> he was a, he became a cook here, and she had this gift for baking. So they had this plan, this idea of opening a cafe. But you know, many people have a plan like that, and right, right? this is a big yep. dream in America. And many people then have that dream come true, and then very quickly it fails. So it is not easy to start a restaurant. Um, but the amazing thing is I watched them. They, These were well-laid plans. These are people who have, uh, they don't jump into anything. So they prepared themselves for it and they they looked for a building. They bought a building with the idea that it would make more sense than throwing your money down the drain by renting. And then they eventually moved into the the second floor of that building to make it easier to be with their family. They have four children. And they opened the restaurant finally right before the pandemic. So that was kind of a heartbreak. Just about two weeks before lockdown, they had opened the restaurant. And I was there for the opening. The mayor was there. TV was there. It was very exciting. And they had created a beautiful space. And then the lockdown came. And, you know, of course, they had 11 credit cards out. You know, they were in debt because of this huge effort and now no income. So that was quite a, you know, just as many entrepreneurs had to deal with that, uh, they dealt with it and they changed the restaurant for a while, making it a takeout place and their children all helped them. Um, and they survived and it's flourishing. So that's very exciting for them, but it's, it's a long road, you know, it's, um, it's still so expensive to run a restaurant and, but they couldn't be getting a better reception from the city and from out outlying areas. People have found them. Yeah. So that's, that was a really wonderful part of yeah, watching the the city was seeing that come to life. Yeah, I mean, it, one of the it really did make me want to take a trip to Utica and yeah, eat some of her, right? Because <laughs> it just sounds like she's spectacularly <laughs> talented. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, so Susan, what what the 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 stories and the larger story that you tell in the book are in some ways this is a very old story, right? This is is immigrants coming under often very adverse circumstances from their home countries and coming into particular places in the United States and helping to build something new to 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 uh transform the places they inhabit and make them better than they were when they arrived. Um, it is, I think, obvious to state that 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 some of those notions of the value of immigration were uh, particularly troubled during the Trump administration. Can you talk a little bit about what you saw happening in Utica during the Trump years and then to the extent that you have seen changes since? Yeah, I think some of the refugees, particularly Mercia has mentioned this, felt that during the Trump years, people were more likely to say something harsh. They felt 
um, less likely to to keep that inside, and that was that could be very hurtful. Um, I think some of the refugees were not as worried during the Trump years as we might think they would be in that they had refugee status. They were on a path to citizenship or they were citizens and they didn't feel threatened by that. Um, So there was uh, mixed feelings about um, what was going on. There were tremendous disappointments, relatives who were about to come and, you know, be be with them, ha- start a new life, who were prevented from doing that. So that that in some cases that was tragic. Uh, a grandpa who you know uh, the family was had been waiting for for years. He he didn't get to come. So there were there were there was a real downside to it. I think there were some people like Ali felt kind of sympathetic toward Trump's economic policies. He felt upstate was depressed and was initially hopeful that Trump would turn things around. Um, but then he was very upset when he found that Iraqis had been put on the list of those not allowed to come to this country, although then he Trump changed that. So that that was a difficult time. And I know that Marcia, who was teaching ESL during that time, in the refugee center, a lot of her students were crying when they heard Trump had been elected and were very worried about what would happen to them. And she was reassuring them, but she herself felt very worried. She felt hearing his nationalistic language, it reminded her of some of the things she had heard in Bosnia as problems began to start and her husband would comfort her and say, honey, it's not going to happen here. Um, yeah, so that was a difficult period. And have the 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 one of the things that 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 happened as you made reference to is is radical reduction in the number of uh, migrants and refugees of all kinds coming into all places in the U.S. Um, yeah, including Utica. Have has has that turned around again or not yet? It's beginning to. So, and the companies are very anxious for employees. They need people to work. They feel starved for them. So they're waiting. And um, so they're expecting some Ukrainians. Um, they're expecting different groups, but it's it's small amounts. Right. And yeah, so they're just very happy about seeing a shift, hoping for more and yeah, just waiting to see. And one thing I thought was very interesting, I just reported on this for the Times for the recent cover story about Utica, is that the employers are taking things in their own hands to try to um, make make it more uh, feasible for refugees to work for them. For instance, Turning Stone, you have to drive about 25 minutes to get there from Utica. That means you need a car or you need to carpool. That can be difficult for refugees. So they're building housing right on the campus of the resort casino. And they're actually building um, lovely housing, one, two, and three bedroom housing. And the three bedrooms will be only $750. So in other words, they're trying to make it very attractive. Wow. 
And I, I just thought hundred fifty a month for a three bedroom apartment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I may need to think about moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so thank you so much, Susan. This is the New Books Network, and you've been listening to Susan Hartman talk about her lovely new book, City of Refugees, the story of three newcomers who breathe life into a dying American town, uh, new out from Beacon Press. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.